Okay, I'm just going to hold this one. All right, you ready? Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about the murders of Patty Pritz and Maddie Rustine. And uh, where did you do your research on this one, Katie? Pretty much completely on web sleuths. Oh, okay. So I didn't realize they were still super active, but his, um, Maddie's sister has two very large threads with basically the whole case. Oh, okay. On there. And where is this case located? This is in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Not California. Ah. Okay. I didn't know there was two. One has a cave. A big cave. I've been in that cave. So I've been to this place. Have you? Yeah, I've is been that, to Carlsbad. Is that kind of on the border with Arizona? I don't think so, but I don't really remember. But I remember it's. Uh, I remember going there, I think, on a vacation that we took to Riodoso, which Riodoso is over on the east middle area of New Mexico. So... Was this a was this a listener request or where did we come up with this idea? This case? No, it wasn't a listener request. It's just one that I pulled. Cool. Out of a hat, I guess. Oh man, that's on the way far side of uh, New Mexico, not anywhere near Arizona. Carlsbad? Yeah. Still New Mexico. Still Four Corners. Count it. We are in the Four Corners this week. And we are indeed. All right, Katie, you want to go ahead and start us off on this one? On the evening of August 11, 1961, 14-year-old Patty Pritz and 13-year-old Maddie Rustine walked to a local amusement park known as The Beach. Now, as we know, since this is New Mexico, it wasn't an actual beach, right? It was on a river. Ooh, a river beach. Okay. What a terrible name for an amusement park, though. Yeah. What kind of amusement was there here? Just a beach? No, there was, like, rides and stuff, carousels and... Yeah, but imagine, like, you're in New Mexico, and you're like, hey, you want to go to the beach? And the dude's like, fuck yeah, and you go, and it's a sh- shitty little amusement park. Yeah. Well, that person's dumb, because they should know you're in New Mexico. Oh, some people aren't good at geography. Like Landlocked you New Mexico. <laughs> Landlocked. They got rivers, though, as we have just learned. <laughs> I, I think if... most states have rivers. Or tributaries. I think most states have rivers named... After other states, take Arizona, for example, has the Colorado River. What the fuck is up with that? It's one giant river. They're going to name it something different for every state it runs through? The two had become friends only three weeks before, but had formed a close friendship quickly. Two days earlier, Maddie had turned 13, the age where her mother had finally felt comfortable letting her go out without her supervision. Since it was the 60s. You could do things back then. Apparently not. You... 13-year-olds go out by themselves all the time today. Yeah, still. Yeah, that's true. There are roving packs of youths in your neighborhood, in case you haven't noticed. Devil's advocate here, guys. You ever been to the mall? (laughs) (laughs) Little did she know that Patty's sister, who the girls had said would be chaperoning them, never had plans to go to the beach with them. The girls were spotted by a few friends walking around the area, wearing matching sailor outfits that they'd spent the day planning out. How often did you wear matching outfits with your friends when you were 13, Katie? Not frequently. Ever dress up like sailors? No, I guess I was like the style in the 60s. That was like the 
a cool way to dress. Plus, they had a amusement park called the beach. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, so you go to the beach dressed like you're ready for the ocean. Maddie was supposed to be home by 8 p.m., but the girls lost track of time and didn't look at a clock until 8.40. They called Patty's mother for a ride, but she was busy and unable to pick them up. Around 8.40, a friend of Patty's, an employee of the beach, offered to walk them home when he got off work at 9 p.m. Because it was already so late, they declined his offer and decided to walk home by themselves. They lived nearby each other, only about a block apart and a street over, so they would travel together for almost the entire journey. How far was the overall journey, do we know? I'm not entirely sure. I think walking probably like 20-ish minutes. Okay, so they figured if they just left then, they'd be home by the time dude would have even been off to walk them home. Exactly, yeah. And they would be in more trouble because they were an hour late rather than or right. however hour long. Late. Yeah. yeah. Not long after they began their walk, Maddie's mom's motherly instincts kicked in. She had a gut feeling that something was very wrong, and not just because the girls weren't home yet. She called Patty's mother, who said the girls were not at her home either, and she hadn't seen them. After calling everyone who the girls may be with, Maddie's mother called the police around 11 p.m. An initial investigation began, but didn't pick up steam until the next day when a full-blown search of Carlsbad began. Despite interviewing multiple witnesses who had seen or interacted with the girls at the beach, no information on their whereabouts was uncovered. So let's just say the police retraced the way that they would walk home in this instance. What would have stood out to them as something different? Anything? Like, was there a different path they took, or is this just a straight walk all the way there? Like, I'm just, like, kind of trying to figure out, like, they start at the beach... And then they have witnesses there. Where did they go, like, in the diaspora from that? I think they were assuming that they probably left with a boy because Patty, they later found out through her diary that she was dating and very actively dating. And so she had a boyfriend. I can't remember his first name. His last name was Rice. And she'd also been writing about, I think, a couple different boys all named David in this diary, too. So... Their assumption was that she either met someone or she knew somebody at the beach and they had taken both of the girls with them. And they were looking for a David. Did they check the caverns? There's big caverns in Carlsbad. I don't, I don't know if they checked the caverns. This was in 1961, so the reporting wasn't great. Well, if I was a cop in Carlsbad, New Mexico, anytime somebody went missing, you know the first place I would check? Carlsbad Caverns. The popular tourist destination? Yeah. Where there are thousands and thousands of people visiting every day. Yeah. I also don't. Can you get in at night? You can weekend at Barney's that shit. I don't think you can just go into the cave whenever you want. I think it's probably got people that escort you. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it did 20 years ago, but it's a different time these days. They probably just, you know, it's the people's, the people's monument. We got to let them in. I disagree. That's a bad place to start looking. <laughs> See, there's places in there where if you, you know, just walk somebody in there dressed up, acting like they're alive, and then all of a sudden you're walking along and there's a spot and it's like, everybody duck, you have to get below here and watch out on your left. It's a far fall down to nothing and you just, boop, drop the body down the far fall to nothing and you just finish your tour. It was like 10 o'clock at night. What are they... What tour? What yeah. tour are they on? I guess underground doesn't matter what time yeah, it is dude. above ground. 24 but... hours a day. 
24 hours think, a day. I don't think, I don't think federal employees typically have people work 24 hours a day. Well, no, we do three shifts, just like prison. Okay, we're, we're, how did we get so derailed? It's not a derail, derailment, man. We're talking about the caverns of New Mexico, Carlsbad. Oh, the river is a better idea in Carlsbad. If you're killing someone, put them in the river. On the 13th, two men, Willie Blair and Bill Melton, decided to go fishing. According to Blair, Melton arrived at his house around 8 a.m. and asked him to go. He agreed, and the two headed out to a ranch in Rocky Arroyo, around 13 miles outside of Carlsbad, around 9.30 a.m. After fishing and shooting turtles until around noon, the two men went to a nearby gas station where Melton told Blair he wanted to show him an area where they could hunt rabbits. So, Willie and Billy... They're out shooting turtles. Shooting turtles. <laughs> Fucking assholes. I don't like them. <laughs> this just sounds like New Mexico. I don't know. Like I just picture Willie and Billy just, you know, hitting a little biker meth and fucking, hey, I could <laughs> shoot that turtle. So here's, here's the thing, though, is we already shit on New Mexico like three weeks ago, so we can't do it again right now. Oh, yeah. Willie and Billy are obviously not a representation of the hellscape you live in. I apologize. <laughs> what did we say about New Mexico? Uh, we were talking about how horrible the landscape is, how it's just a vast... Empty wasteland of <laughs> sadness and radioactivity. We might have ended it with fuck New Mexico. I never end anything with fuck New Mexico. I personally believe that <laughs> New Mexico is unfuckable. <laughs> I don't remember any of that conversation. Don't take any of this to heart, New Mexico. Okay. As the two were driving through the brush, Melton spotted something red out of his window and told Blair to stop the car. When he approached, he realized that it was the body of a young girl. Nearby was the nude body of another young female. The men left the area to call police, but had to travel all the way back to Carlsbad to find a phone. After police arrived at the gas station, they were taken out to the area where the bodies were discovered. They were confirmed to be the bodies of Patty Pritz and Maddie Rustine. So how far are they outside of Carlsbad? 13 miles. 13 miles? Mm Mm-hmm. So they found them on Rocky Ranch. I thought they left and oh. then were going somewhere else. Mm, yeah. Like, I thought the second location. So they're still 13 miles outside of... Uh, yeah, they're still in... East. They're still in Rocky Arroyo. Yeah, they just went to another... There's, like, a bunch of vast, like, ranches out there, and you can pay the farmers, like, a dollar to go onto their land and... Shoot rabbits fish and or shoot rabbits and, and so turtles. There's many arroyos inside of Rocky Arroyo. Okay. All right, so... So there, it's not at the first spot they went to. The second spot that they went to, that they found the bodies. Yes. And the, that's like the same. It's still in the Rocky it's Arroyo still, area, yeah. and it's kind of more of like along the highway, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's basically you just, I mean, because it's... New Mexico. It's New Mexico. It's along a highway. You can literally just cut off the road anytime you want, and you'll be in the middle of the desert. Okay. You can find a body anywhere in New Mexico. It's just a fact. It's not nothing against New Mexico. Both girls had been shot in the head at close range. Before being shot, Maddie suffered blunt force trauma to the head. She was found fully dressed, although semen was recovered from her clothing at a much later date. Patty was completely undressed and was likely sexually assaulted before she was killed. Her clothing was folded with her belongings on top near her body. Because the bodies had been out in the open desert in the summer for three days, they were in an advanced state of decomposition. Police scoured the area where the bodies were found, hoping to find a bullet or shell casing, but neither was ever found. 
It's estimated that the bullet used to kill the girls was likely a 32 or 38 caliber. Is that because, like, there was no shell casings found, so more than likely it was a revolver, so they're just basing that off of that, or what, what do they think? I mean, the way the bullet goes into your head. Oh. Size, whole size. Oh, did they find the bullet? Bullet yeah. in the head? Oh, wow, okay. They just measured measured the entry and exit wounds, and it gives you a pretty good estimate of what caliber the bullet was. Mm. Okay. The only evidence found in the desert was a footprint left by a men's size 7.5 and tire tracks. It's a little guy. I was going to say, like, so they put out an AB, APB for a leprechaun-sized man? <laughs> They're like Vern Troyer. Have yeah. you seen him? Yeah, Vern Troyer had some big old feet. This guy's got, like, little man feet. Like, yeah, but... I wore size sevens when I was, like, in sixth grade. Size seven and a half on a Vern Troyer is, like, looks huge, but it's just yeah. little guy feet. Just little guy feet. So did they put out an APB for a man, like, approximately the size of a large leprechaun? No. Hmm. First clue, small man. Or what if he's a really tall man with, like, toothpick feet? <laughs> you wouldn't be able to, like, stand. You'd just be tilted and falling over. No, it doesn't say he has good balance. It says he was able to kill two young girls. How would you be able to chase two young girls if you're that tall with little feet? Oh, I guess if they knew about stride pattern. Cause, uh, if I don't think like, they chased them around the desert here. Ah, you're probably correct. Hmm. Police believed that the girls had been killed where their bodies had been found due to what they said was an area it looked like some sort of scuffle had occurred, but no other evidence confirmed this theory. Police began to interview anyone and everyone that may have seen something in hopes of finding Maddie and Patty's killer. On the day the girls' bodies were found, a man came forward who believed he had seen the girls being picked up. Keith Burnell was in Carlsbad visiting family after moving away some years before. On August 11th, he was outside his family member's home retrieving items from his car. He noticed a car pull up at the house next door and assumed it was someone he knew stopping by to say hi to him. As he watched, he also noticed two girls fitting Maddie and Patty's descriptions walking further down the road. The car stopped ahead of them, so eventually, as they continued walking, they would walk past him. He heard what he described as a little scuffle and some shrieking, but thought it was normal teenage behavior. The girls were quote-unquote hustled into the car with the taller one, which would have been Patty, getting in first and the shorter one following. The driver then ran back to the driver's side of the car and drove away. What part of that did he consider normal teenage, what did he, what did he call it? Normal teenager behavior. Like getting hustled into a car and then a dude running around and jumping into the other side. Okay, now it's not normal teenage behavior, right? Yeah, he said afterwards in his police interview, he was like, I I wasn't too worried about it at first, but now that I'm thinking about it, they sounded scared, and it was not normal behavior. So I don't know what his original train of thought was, but... He... Oh, it's... Well, it's dark outside, too, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's late at night. Like, goddamn. That's not normal teenager behavior. No, especially at nighttime. Teenage, right. Teens shouldn't be on the streets at night. Yeah. You know those little stickers that you put on uh, the back of your car so cops know that it's not supposed to be out between certain hours? We need what? to slap those on the back of our what teenagers. The, is that a thing? I've never heard of that before. Yeah. I've never heard of that either. Those little little stickers, they're little glasses. They're little window, window sticker. It's just a little pair of glasses. And it means that your car's not supposed to be out between 2 and 6, I think. You put them on old a... people's car. So if they get stolen... I've never heard of that in my entire life. I've Me never either. seen that either. It's a thing. And a real thing, not like the Rockies and the Andes being connected or a thing. Weird. It's for elderly people? Or teens? 
all of the above. Anyone who, if you don't want your car. 2 a.m. So, seems so late, though. I know. Like, you like, shouldn't. No I don't know if that's the, the exact time. I thought it so, was, but. But wait, what? So, this, so why would this guy have one? Why would he not? Because it's 8.49 p.m. anyway. What well, no, you put them on the kids. You put them on the back of their heads. Oh, oh, you tattoo the kids. Oh, no, I was just thinking a sticker. Oh. Slap a new sticker on them every couple of days if you have to. But that way people know this person's underage. They're not supposed to be out right now. I think you could look at them and know they were underage. At least from all the descriptions, Maddie was very short and looked much younger than 13. Yeah, but what about Patty? And it was also dark, and he couldn't see any dis- Distinguishable features of them, except for their height. Bumper stickers for kids. It's going to be a new thing. Just watch. From what Burnell could see, the car was a 55 or 56 Chevy, most likely light-colored, but not white. He couldn't make anything out about the driver. Another Carlsbad resident also reported seeing two girls at a local drive-thru getting into a light-colored car of a man. An employee of the drive-thru reported seeing the car following two girls not long before. This was estimated to be between 9 and 9.30 p.m. Between 10 and 10.30 p.m., a couple driving down the Artesia Highway, the road taken to the area where the girls' bodies were found, noticed headlights a quarter mile off the road in the desert nearby where the bodies would be found on the 13th. At 5.30 a.m., another person driving near the highway noticed a light-colored 55 Chevy parked on the side of the road with someone sleeping inside. That was the guy. That was our murderer. And is that a normal occurrence where you're just driving down the highway and there are people sleeping on the side of it? I In 61, I don't know. I've never seen someone sleeping on the side of the highway and not seen someone stop checking on them. Hmm. Normally, if you see someone, like, passed out in a car, you typically stop and yeah. check on them, or at least I do. Because I, I know we've done it here before. Yeah, if you see someone in the middle of the night on the side of the road, you kind of you want to check on them. One time Rory told me, there are many acceptable places to sit at 3 a.m. The side of the road is not one of them. Yeah. Something like that. He paraphrased, but yeah. It was pretty close. I mean, that was pretty close. Maybe sound way smarter than it probably actually was because I was on acid when I said that. <laughs> I was trying to leave out the drugs part. Police also interviewed Willie Blair, one of the men who had discovered the girls' bodies. His original statement of the timeline between the 11th and the 13th does not stay the same. Ooh. He said that on August 11th, he picked up his wife from work at 3 p.m. and the two went home. Friends of theirs, the Hughes, came by and asked if they wanted to go fishing, and they went out until around 9 p.m. The Hughes left the Blair home around 10 p.m., and Blair and his wife did not go anywhere for the rest of the night. And he specifically mentioned that he did not go anywhere. Because why would you want to admit you went anywhere when people were murdered? Mm Mm-hmm. On the 13th, like I described earlier, Bill Melton arrived at the Blair home around 8 a.m. and asked Willie to go fishing. They went to the ranch and fished, then traveled to the Rocky Arroyo to hunt rabbits, where they found the bodies. And turtles. On the 14th, police looked into Blair's background a bit more and discovered that he had been involved in child molestation cases earlier in his life. Cases? Yeah, I think multiple times. Fuck this guy already. I don't even know if he did anything, but fuck him. They re-interviewed him, during which his story changed slightly. Rather than his wife working, he worked on a car at home until around 4, and then the Hughes showed up to fish. The Hughes confirmed this alibi, but what's interesting is they had also given one in Blair's molestation case. So they're pretty much alibi masters for this guy, just handing him out whenever he needs one. I would have to say the plot is thickening. 
mm-hmm. at this moment against Mr. Blair, Billy Blair. Willie. Willie Blair. There's too many IE people in this. Police also noted Blair's shoe size, a seven and a half. <gasps> I saw that one coming. Blair agreed to take a polygraph, but was conveniently unavailable every time the police tried to get him to take it. So not that it matters if his shoe is a seven and a half, but how tall was Willie Blair? 5'3". That sounds about right. I'm honestly not sure how tall he was. I think he was like average height. I'm going to say... Average height, 1961. Oh, yeah, that's a fact you definitely have off the top of your head, Roar. (laughs) Taking into account his leprechaun stature, I'm saying 5'3 is about 5'3, 5'4 is probably what his height is. I'm going to say that um, based on the fact that he kills small girls, yeah, that's about as tall as he could be. I'm 5'4 and I wear a a 5.5 in men's. And you wouldn't even kill a small girl. So I think you could be a little taller and have 7.5. No. He's a man, Katie. There's a difference. <laughs> uh, just for the record, though, the average height in 1961 for a man was five foot eight. So he's definitely a below average human. Below obviously. average, yeah, because the average shoe size back then was at least 11. It was later discovered that a co-worker of Bill Melton, who was with Blair when the bodies were discovered, overheard a conversation between Melton and his boss. On the 13th, as they were driving out to the area where they were planning to hunt rabbits, Blair kept telling Melton to look out the window. Melton wasn't seeing anything, but Blair kept insisting he look until eventually he noticed the bodies. Melton said that he felt Blair knew the bodies would be there. That does sound like he knew. I'm starting to get a suspicious feeling about old Willie Blair here. The weird thing about this, though, is that Melton was the one they suggested, who suggested they go to this area to hunt rabbits. Yeah, maybe Willie knew that Billy was going to be like, hey, Willie, let's go over to the to the silly place and fucking hunt rabbits. I guess my question would be is, uh, is it possible that he was just telling him to look out the window because he didn't know where to turn? I mean, they were driving on a dirt road in the middle of the desert, so I don't know where and if they you... would have been turning. I think you just stop and shoot <laughs> rabbits, right? Well, and then maybe he was telling him to look for rabbits. Yeah, look for a rabbit, wren, den, whatever they call it. Warren. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, they're all kind of evasive about their stories, and they're all dead now, so we can't really clarify any of this. Well, and not only that, you know that you can't just go driving down a road. That flushes out the rabbits. You have to be very, very quiet when you're hunting rabbits. Technically, what you do is you walk in a line through the brush and just shoot whatever comes in front of you. This is also hearsay. This is a coworker of Melton's overhearing Melton talking to his boss. Oh, shit. I'm so, just going to say they were bad hunters, that's all. I'm going to say they were... Hillbillies. Yes, New Mexico people. Hillwillies. Okay. Ooh, Hillwillies is like an inbred hillbilly. No, it's like the smartest of the hillbillies. Is it? Yeah, it's the Hill Williams, basically. Through the first month of the investigation, around 1,200 people were interviewed by multiple police agencies working the murder. Clothing and scraping from under the girl's fingernails was sent to an FBI lab, but no usable evidence was found, being that it was 1961. Frankly, I'm surprised they even thought to send it in. They're like, we could maybe use this in 40 years. (laughs) Some suspects were looked into, but no serious leads came of them. In January of 1962, a former FBI agent was given the case full-time and assigned a squad to help investigate. 29 years before I was born. 
In July of 1962, a man named Franklin Parsons was arrested in Monahans, Texas. While being driven to jail, Parsons, also known as Buddy, supposedly gave information regarding Maddie and Patty's murder. Monahans police contacted the Carlsbad PD, and Buddy was retrieved and brought back to New Mexico. Eventually, Buddy implicated his brother, who was picked up and given a polygraph. It was determined that he was not involved. What was the determining factor in that? Do you know? Polygraph. Probably an alibi, too. Hopefully an alibi, too, we will say, because, as we all know, polygraphs are unreliable, especially when you give them to a guy named Buddy and his brother Fuddy. I'm just assuming they shared names. Buddy then implicated another friend of his, who, again, were not involved in the murders. That just, that screams, that screams guilt. Do we know why he was doing this? Um, he was severely intellectually disabled. Finally, in August, Buddy himself confessed to the murders. During his preliminary hearing, it was revealed that Buddy had taken officers through the route he'd taken on August 11th when he killed Maddie and Patty, and that he had shown them via a drawing of a body where he had stabbed Patty. The police also had video of Buddy driving a car, which supposedly he did not know how to do. Why were... Did they just want to have a guy? They just wanted to have a scapegoat? They wanted to close the case? Yeah, so basically it was later discovered that at one point someone asked Buddy if he'd ever been to Carlsbad, and he had because he had a sister who lived there. And so they eventually were like, well, have you ever gone to see two girls in Carlsbad? And he said, yes, I have, because his sister had two daughters. Oh. And so they basically blew all of it out of proportion, and they wanted someone to arrest and him basically being a really easy scapegoat. I mean, you could pin anything on him and he wouldn't know the difference. They charged him. Open and shut case for 1961 police officers. Pretty much. I mean, that's good policing right there. Mm -hmm. Buddy's confession detailed how he had driven out to the area where the girls' bodies were discovered after they willingly got in the car with him. Patty got out of the car while Maddie waited in it and he and Patty had consensual sexual relations. At one point, Patty laughed at him, which made him so angry he pulled out a gun and shot her. He then ordered Maddie out of the car, but she ran, so he fired at her, and he missed. He quickly caught up to her and shot her as well. He then returned to Monahan's Texas. So it seems likely that that whole confession would have been coerced, right? Yeah. They're like, and then did you do this, buddy? And he said, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Kind of reminiscent of the West Memphis Three and the original confession. Buddy's trial was scheduled, but a bunch of continuations occurred, and his preliminary hearing actually continued in October of 1962. During this, three witnesses all testified that they had seen Buddy in San Antonio, Texas, on the day of the girl's murder. Although it isn't impossible for Buddy to have driven to Carlsbad and murdered the girls the same day, keep in mind that many claimed Buddy could not drive a car. Plus, what purpose would he have for driving all the way over there just killing two girls and driving back yeah I, there is none i think that would be the purpose like yeah, i'm going to leave to go kill two girls like that that would be his purpose for going to carlsbad i suppose that seems like a weak case that is a very weak case weak cases didn't matter in 1961 and how does a how does a 14 year old give consent for sex at all like this dude's a creep no, he's... Well, it's made up. Yeah. Yeah. Trumped up charges. Trumped up charges. More and more continuations occurred while Buddy sat in jail awaiting his trial. 
During this time, Buddy's mother gave an interview in which she explained that Buddy was severely intellectually disabled. He could not read or write and gave the confession of the girl's murder while being held without a lawyer. Which probably wouldn't hold up in the actual court anyways, right? If he never requested one, then it doesn't really matter. Oh. You have to ask for one. When he signed the supposed confession, he couldn't actually read it to understand what it said. But he also had an extremely severe speech impediment, so bad that even his own family had difficulty understanding what he said at times. Because of this, police easily could interpret what he was saying as whatever they wished. (laughs) The video of Buddy driving the police supposedly had was also revealed to be edited down to not show the parts where Buddy almost crashed trying to make turns. After this interview was given, the district attorney in Carlsbad decided to overturn the charges and stop the trial that was set to begin in five days. And let's also not forget that this is 1961 video we're talking about, right? 62, yeah. 62. You can't see anything on that video. So wait, did they... All right, wait, wait. Where did they get this video? They put him in a sheriff's cruiser and made him drive around and filmed him. Oh, and they videoed it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought it was like uh, surveillance footage or something. I was like... No, they were trying to prove that he could drive, so they put him in a car and made him drive around. And he couldn't. And they just were like, oh, don't film that like, part. here's him going in a straight line. Yeah. God damn. Yeah, his mom... So sketchy. His mom said that he never had a license and he couldn't drive because he could not be responsible. Yeah. Obviously. And he couldn't read, so this confession was written for him. Oh, 100%. And then he signed it, buddy, because he couldn't sign his full name. Well, yeah, Franklin's a long name. That, do- that doesn't count, does it? Um, like I think if I were to, probably back then it did. But if I were the- to sign Sherman Peabody on all my shit, like, it wouldn't be my confession, right? If that's your signature, then yes, it would mm, be. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Sherman. After Buddy was released, the case went completely cold until 2003, when a new detective, Jim Estrada, was given the case. One of the most promising suspects was Willie Blair's son, David Blair. David was a resident of Carlsbad until August 11, 1961, the night Maddie and Patty disappeared. Around midnight that night, David supposedly arrived at home and rapidly packed his bags. Not long after, Willie Blair showed up, saying David had gotten a job in Monahans, Texas, and he had to leave immediately. Or he became a magician and changed his name by a couple of letters. What? <laughs> David Blaine. Oh. How old was uh, David in 61? I'm honestly not sure. Probably in his 20s. He was an adult. Old enough to cut somebody in half and put him back together. This directly contradicts Willie's original statement where he claimed he did not leave his house after returning home from fishing with the Hughes. In 1963, David was arrested for the rape of a young girl but had his charges reduced and only spent six months in prison. He also beat his wife to the point where she had a miscarriage two separate times. Fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck this guy. It's reported that the Blair family was close with and possibly even bribed some of the higher-ups in the Carlsbad criminal justice system. Well, if I know anything about Carlsbad, it's fucking... Caves. Caves. (laughs) Caves and dirty cops. Yeah, I mean, they need to do like a a law and order Carlsbad and go revamp that justice system because corruption abound in 61, 62, 63. These are the stories. That we know. These are the people. 
Estrada also uncovered new leads and was particularly interested in a Monaghan's police officer named Charles Titus. Titus was one of the officers involved in Buddy's arrest and subsequent report to the Carlsbad PD. Titus had also shown up in Carlsbad a few days after the girls' bodies were found and inserted himself into the investigation. Mm-hmm. It's likely that Titus was somehow involved with David Blair, who had gone directly to Monaghan's after the girls had gone missing. Oddly enough, as soon as Estrada discovered that David Blair was the strongest suspect, he suddenly retired in 2005 with no explanation. I'm going to say that he was pretty concerned for his own safety and he didn't want to get vanished. I wonder if it's just like a shut him up, pay him off, and send him home. If you're, if you're looking at the, one of the world's most powerful magicians as your main suspect, you're going to be scared. I'd retire too. This is true. I mean, he's no Chris Angel, but... He's not a mind freak, but he's, he's the original. One article says that an Eddy County detective named Richard Silas has been assigned the case, but it seems as though it's been completely forgotten about, or has been forcefully covered up. It's been 61 years since Maddie Ristine and Patty Pritz were murdered, and most of the major players in the case are long deceased. Maddie's sister has said that family members of those suspected, likely the Blairs, have offered to submit their own DNA to compare against the semen found on Maddie's clothing. Unfortunately, when a case is this old and rife with corruption, it's unlikely to be solved. If a new detective has been assigned and has not submitted the DNA since 2004, it's likely they will never send it again. That sucks. Kind of a shitty ending. Yeah, why would they not send in? I mean, obviously the Blair family thinks that they can clear their name by sending in their DNA. Or maybe they hate their father. Either way, um, we got to get that DNA tested. Yeah, I mean, if we if twenty three and Me has taught us anything, is that it is an actual good way to catch murderers. This podcast is not sponsored by twenty three and Me, but it could be. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, pretty much everyone's dead. Um, so hopefully the killer's dead too. I don't know. I want to know. I mean, I want to know too, but like. If they're dead, we can dig them up, crush up their bones, do something. At least I would... Desecrate a corpse. At least, like, Maddie's sister to get some justice. Yeah. She's... Last time she posted on Web Sleuths was 2019. And she said she had just had surgery. So I don't know if... She made it through COVID? If she's passed away by now. Their mom passed away not long after Maddie went missing of a heart attack. And then a while after that, their brother killed them killed himself because he was just so broken up about the whole thing so she's pretty much the only surviving family member of maddie and it would be nice to get some justice but that's probably not going to happen yeah is there like anywhere that uh, our listeners can go to to look at like just go to web sleuths and look at the case it's everything's on web sleuths there's probably 400 post back and forth on the case yeah so just uh keep it in your mind maybe eventually something will come up and you could be the thing that cracks that case yeah and what? it's all been sent to vicap too and the fbi is not doing anything about it either so a hundred people a day listen to this shit so somebody just start calling carl's bad police and tell them to send in that dna let's get that dna yeah let's get the dna is that gonna do it for this one though katie that is all for this week yep all for right. now until we get that dna all right, guys. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to us at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Four Corners Crime Cast, on Instagram at Four Corners Crime Cast, on Twitter at Four Corners Cast, and our Facebook group, Four Corners Crime Cast Discussion Group. And don't forget to go to our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. There you'll find a pretty complete episode list, as well as a link where you can sign up to get a sticker sent out to you for free by typing in Bingo Bango and the checkout code. And also, you know, links where you can go tell Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all those places that you love us. So uh, head over there, and then right after that, call Carlsbad, demand the DNA. We can do it. Demand it. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. And, uh, okay, so we got web sleuths. We got that. Let's go. <laughs> yes. That was a good transition. <laughs>